Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 6. The Coming of Prince Tarion. Christmas is almost a month away, but at Jess's house, the girls were already obsessed with it. This year, Ellie and Brenda both had boyfriends at the Consolidated High School, and the problem of what to give them and what to expect from them was called the endless speculation and fights. Fights, because as usual, their mother was complaining that there was hardly enough money to get the little girl something from Santa Claus, let alone a surplus to buy record albums or shirts for a pair of boys she had never set eyes on. Ain't that the truth? When I was a kid... <laughs> When I was a kid and I had my first girlfriend and my second girlfriend and my fifth girlfriend, I, I, I went through a lot of girls. It wasn't that I was a like a player or anything like that. I just would get a girlfriend and then would just treat them like a friend. I was young and naive and, you know, so anyway, Valentine's Day would come around. And I'd be quiet about the girl. I wouldn't tell my mom about the girl. I wouldn't tell her anything about my girlfriend. She wouldn't even ask because I was in like fifth grade. And then the day before Valentine's Day, I start screaming like a banshee, kind of like the kids do when they have a science experiment that's due the next day. And it's like a, a five-page project. I need to get a teddy bear. I need to get a hard candy-shaped chocolate chocolate thing. I need it. I'm going to die. And my mom be like, why do you need it? And why are you telling me this at like 9 o'clock at night? Because I got a girlfriend. And she's like, you got a girlfriend? I'm like, that's not the point. I need one of those bears. And so she was like, okay, we'll get her a little. No. I need the huge bear that she can't hide in her backpack that she has to carry around the whole day. And it's really uncomfortable. And everybody will stare at her. Those bears cost like 30 bucks. That was 30 bucks we didn't have. And my mom was not pleased, but I would not stop. And every single year, it was the same thing. Until one day, she was just like, I'm not buying anything this year. Don't ask. You got to come up with something on your own. And so what I came up with, statute of limitations have passed. What I came up with was going into her jewelry, because I never saw her wear jewelry. As far as I knew, she didn't wear bracelets or anything like that. She didn't wear jewelry. She didn't even wear a ring. So I went in her um, jewelry box, which she never wore jewelry, but she had a jewelry box. So, duh, Derek. She wore it to work, Derek. You weren't paying attention, Derek, because you were in sixth grade, Derek. I went in her jewelry box, and I found one that looked like she never wore it, which was all of them, in my opinion. And I took a bracelet. And I gave it to the girl at school. And it wasn't in a box or anything. So the girl didn't want it. She actually threw it at me. Later on that day, she said she broke up with me a week ago. But I didn't hear her because she whispered it. That's what she told me. She broke up with me a week ago. But I didn't hear it because she whispered it. So she was waiting until after Valentine's Day to see if she still wanted to give me another chance. And she didn't. Plus, I farted in the lunchroom. Oh, this takes great. So I took the jewelry that uh, the girl didn't want and that I thought my mom didn't want and I snuck it back home and completely forgot to put it back in the box and my mom was freaking out. Turns out the jewelry was given to her by her great aunt. Oops. So we searched and we searched and we searched and it was in my pocket the whole time and I was trying to search closer to her uh her dress so I could drop it and be like I found it under the dresser but I wasn't allowed in their room so I'm searching out at the kitchen table and I'm like I found it on the kitchen table and she was like you found jewelry from my great aunt on the kitchen table where I've never had it before no 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 I found it under the kitchen table. Whooping. <laughs> but yes, I understand this whole thing about I gotta have it. And it's like, no, you don't. These kids are not worth it. Man, she would have stayed with me if I if, if I had given her a box for that bracelet, though. My mom would have murdered me. 
God works in mysterious ways, but she would have stayed with me. What are you giving your girlfriend, Jess? Brenda screwed her face up in that ugly way she had. He tried to ignore her. He was reading one of Leslie's books, and the adventures of an assistant pig keeper were far more important to him than Brenda's sauce. Don't you know, Brenda? Ellie joined in. Jess ain't got no girlfriend. Well, you're right for once. Nobody with any sense would call that stick a girl. Brenda pushed her face right into his and grinned the word girl through her big painted lips. Something huge and hot swelled up right inside of him, and if he hadn't jumped out the chair and walked away, he would have smacked her. He tried to figure out later what had made him so angry. Partly, of course, it made him furious that anyone as dumb as Brenda would think she could make fun of Leslie. Lord, it hurt his guts to realize that it was Brenda who was his blood sister, and that really, from anyone else's point of view, he and Leslie were not related at all. Maybe, he thought, I was a foundling, like in the stories. Way back when the creek had water in it, I came floating down in a wicker basket waterproof with pitch. My dad found me and brought me here because he always wanted a son and just had stupid daughters. My real parents and brothers and sisters lived far away, farther away than even West Virginia or, or Ohio. That's that's far from Virginia, West Virginia. West Virginia is far from Virginia. You know what? Never mind. Somewhere I have a family who have rooms filled with nothing but books who still grieve for their baby who was stolen. And at night, this is me, by the way, and at night... We stand out on the windowsill because we're mice and we sing somewhere out there. Love, well, I don't know the words, but I remember this part where Five O sings the song. Also, my dad told me he found me under a rock. How to children's book. How do you find somebody under a rock, father? Are you saying I was lowered in the bugs, father? That's why I haven't talked to you in 13 years, father. I will be your father figure. He shook himself back to the source of his anger. He was angry, too, because it would soon be Christmas and he had nothing to give Leslie. You better break in your mom's jewelry box. It was not that she would expect something expensive. It was that he needed to give her something as much as he needed to eat when he was hungry. That's how I felt. He thought about making her a book of his drawings. He even stole paper and crayons from school to do it with. But nothing he drew seemed good enough, and he would end up scrawling across a half-finished page and poking it into the stove to burn up. By the last week of school before the holiday, he was growing desperate. There was no one he could ask for help or advice. His dad had told him he would give him a dollar for each member of the family. But even if he cheated on the family presence, there was no way he could get from that enough to buy Leslie anything worth giving her. Besides, Maybell had her heart set on a Barbie doll, and he had already promised to pull his money with Ellie and Brenda for that. Then the price had gone up, and he found that he would have to go over into everyone else's dollar to make the full amount up for Maybell. Somehow this year, Maybell needed something special. She was always moping around. He and Leslie couldn't include her in their activities, but that was hard to explain to someone like Maybell. Why didn't she play with Joyce Ann? He couldn't be expected to entertain her all the time. Still, still, she ought to have the Barbie. So there was no money, and he seemed paralyzed in his efforts to make anything for Leslie. She wouldn't be like Brenda or Ellie. She wouldn't laugh at him no matter what he gave her. But for his own sake, he had to give her something that he could be proud of. If he had the money... He'd buy her a TV, one of those tiny Japanese ones that she could keep in her own room without bothering Judy and Bill. It didn't seem fair with all their money that they had gotten rid of the TV. It wasn't as if Leslie would watch the way Brenda did, with her mouth open and her eyes bulging like a goldfish hour after hour. But every once in a while, a person liked to watch. At least if she had one, it would be one less thing for the kids at school to sneer about. But, of course, there was no way that he could buy her a TV. And it was pretty stupid of him to even think about it. Lord, he was stupid. He gazed miserably out the window of the school bus. It was a wonder someone like Leslie would even give him the time of day. It was because there was no one else. If she had found anyone else at that dumb school, he was so stupid he had almost gone straight past the sign without catching on. But something in the corner of his head clicked, and he jumped up, pushing past Leslie and Maybell. 
See you later, he mumbled, and shoved his way up through the aisle through pair after pair of sprawling legs. Let me off here, Miss Prentice, will you? This ain't your stop. Gotta do an errand for my mother, he lied. Long as you don't get me in trouble, she eased the brakes. No, ma'am, thanks. He swung off the bus before it had really stopped and ran back towards the sign. Puppies, it said. Free. Jess told Leslie to meet him at the Castle Stronghold on Christmas Eve afternoon. The rest of his family had gone to the Millsburg Plaza for last-minute shopping, but he stayed behind. The dog was a little brown and black thing with great brown eyes. Jess stole a ribbon from Brenda's drawer and hurried across the field and down the hill with the puppy squirming in his arms. Before he got to the creek bed, it had licked his face raw and sent the stream down his jacket front, but he couldn't be mad. He tucked it tightly under his arm and swung across the creek as gently as he could. He could have walked through the gully. It would have been easier, but he couldn't escape the feeling that one must enter Terabithia only by the prescribed entrance. He couldn't let the puppy break the rules. It might mean bad luck for both of them. At the stronghold, he tied the ribbon around the puppy's neck, laughing as it backed out the loop and chewed at the ends of the ribbon. It was a clever, lively little thing, a present Jess could be proud of. There was no mistaking the delight in Leslie's eyes. She dropped to her knees on the cold ground, picked the puppy up, and held it close to her face. Watch it, Jess cautioned. It sprays worse than a water pistol. Leslie moved it out a little way. Is it male or female? Once in a rare while, there was something he could teach Leslie. Boy, he said happily. Then we'll name him Prince Tarion and make him the guardian of Terabithia. She put the puppy down and got to her feet. Where are you going? To the Grove of the Pine, she answered. This is a time of greatest joy. Later in the afternoon, Leslie gave Jess his present. It was a box of watercolors with 24 tubes of color and three brushes and a pad of heavy art paper. Lord he said. Thank you. He tried to think of a better way to say it, but he couldn't. Thank you, he repeated. It's it's not a great present like yours, she said humbly, but I hope you'll like it. He wanted to tell her how proud and good she made him feel, that the rest of Christmas didn't matter because today had been so good, but the words he needed weren't there. Oh, yeah, yeah, he said, and then he got up on his knees and began to bark at Prince Tarion. The puppy raced around him in circles, yelping with delight. Leslie began to laugh. It egged Jess on. Everything the dog did, he imitated, flopping down at last with his tongue lolling out. Jess was laughing so hard she had trouble getting the words out. You're crazy. How will we teach him to be a noble guardian? You're turning him into a clown. Ruff! Well, Prince Tarion, rolling his eyes skyward. Jess and Leslie both collapsed. They were in pain from the laughter. Maybe, said Leslie at last, we better make him court Jester. What about his name? Oh, we'll let him keep his name. Even a prince, this in her most Terabithian voice, even a prince may be a fool. That night, the glory afternoon stayed with him. Even his sister squabbling about when presents were to be opened did not touch him. He helped Maybell wrap her wretched little gifts and even sang Santa Claus coming to town with her and Joyce Ann. Then Joyce Ann cried because they had no fireplace and Santa wouldn't be able to find his way. And suddenly, she felt sorry for her going to Millsburg Plaza and seeing all those things and hoping that some guy in a red suit would give her all her dreams. Maybell at six was already too wise. She was just hoping for that stupid Barbie. He was glad he had splurged on it. Joyce Ann wouldn't care that he only had a hair clip for her. She'll blame Santa, not him, for being cheap. He put his arm awkwardly around Joyce Ann. Come on, Joyce Ann, don't cry. Old Santa knows the way. He don't need a chimney, does he, Maybell? Maybell was watching him with big, solemn eyes. Jess gave her a knowing wink over Joyce Ann's head. It melted her. Nah, Joyce Ann, he knows the way. He knows everything. She squinched up her right cheek in a vain effort to return his wink. She was a good kid. He really liked old Maybell. The next morning, he helped her dress and undress her Barbie at least 30 times. Slithering the skinny dress over the doll's head and arms and snapping the tiny fasteners was more than her chubby six-year-old fingers could manage. He had received a racing car set, which he tried to run to please his father. It wasn't one of those big sets that they advertise on TV, but it was electric. Boogie, oogie, oogie. 
<laughs> and he knew his dad had put more money into it than he should have. But the silly cards kept falling off of the curves until his father was cursing at them with impatience. Jess wanted it to be okay. He wanted so much for his dad to be proud of his present, the way he, Jess, had been proud of the puppy. It's really great, really. I just ain't got the hang of it yet. His face was red, and he kept shoving his hair back out of his eyes as he leaned over the plastic figure eight track. Cheap junk. His father kicked the floor dangerously near the track. Don't get nothing for your money these days. Joyce Ann was lying on her bed screaming because she had yanked the string out of her talking doll and it was no longer talking. Brenda had her lips stuck out because Ellie had gotten a pair of pantyhose in her Christmas stocking and she had only gotten bobby socks. Ellie wasn't helping matters, prancing around in her new hose, making a big show of helping Mama with the ham and sweet potatoes for dinner. Lord. Sometimes Ellie was as snotty as Wanda K. Moore. Jesse Oliver Aarons Jr. If you can stop playing with them full cars long enough to milk the cow, I'd be most appreciative. Miss Bessie don't take no holiday, even if you do. Jess jumped up, pleased for an excuse to leave the track which he couldn't make work to his dad's satisfaction. His mother seemed not to notice the promptness of his response, but went on with a complaining voice. I don't know what I'd do without Ellie. She's the only one of you kids ever cares whether I live or die. Dramatic. Just drama. Ellie smiled like a plastic angel first at Jess and then at Brenda, who glared back. Leslie must have been watching out for him because as soon as he started across the yard, he could see her running out of the old Perkins place. The puppy half tripping her as it chased circles around her. They met at Miss Bessie's shed. I thought you'd never come out this morning. Yeah, well... Christmas, you know. Prince Tarion began to snap at Miss Bessie's hooves. She stamped in annoyance. Leslie picked him up so Jess could milk. The puppy squirmed and licked, making it almost impossible for her to talk. She giggled happily. <laughs> Dumb dog, she said proudly. Yeah, it felt like Christmas again. Chapter 7, The Golden Room Mr. Burt began to repair the old Perkins place. After Christmas, Mrs. Burke was right in the middle of writing a book, so she wasn't available to help, which left Leslie the job of hunting and fetching. For all his smartness with politics and music, Mr. Burke was inclined to be absent-minded. He would put down the hammer to pick up the how-to book and then lose the hammer between there and the project he was working on. Leslie was good at finding stuff for him, and he liked her company as well. When she came home from school and on the weekends, he wanted her around. Leslie explained all this to Jess. Jess tried going to Terabithia alone, but it was no good. It needed Leslie to make the magic. He was afraid he would destroy everything by trying to force the magic on his own, when it was plain that the magic was reluctant to come for him. If he went home, either his mother was after him to do some chore, or Maybelle wanted him to play Barbie. Lord, he wished a million times he had never helped buy that stupid doll. He'd no more than lie down on the floor to paint than Maybelle would be after him to put an arm back on her to snap up a dress. Joyce Ann was worse. She got a devilish delight of sitting smack down on his rump when he was stretched out working. If he yelled at her to get the heck off him, she'd stick her index finger in the corner of her mouth and holler, which, of course, would crank up his mother. Jesse Oliver, you leave that baby alone. What you mean lying there in the middle of the floor doing nothing anyway? Didn't I tell you I couldn't cook supper before you chopped wood for the stove? Sometimes he would sneak down to the old Perkins place and find Prince Terry and crying on the porch, where Mr. Burke had exiled him. You couldn't blame the man. No one could get anything done with that animal grabbing his hand or jumping up to lick his face. He'd take P.T. for a romp in the Burke's upper field. If it was a mild day, Miss Bessie would be mooing nervously from across the fence. She couldn't seem to get used to the yipping and snapping. Or maybe it was a time of year, the last drags of winter spoiling the taste of everything. Nobody, human or animal, seemed happy. Except Leslie. She was crazy about fixing up that broken down old wreck of a house. She loved being needed by her father. Half the time they were supposed to be working, they were just yakking away. She was learning, she related glowingly at recess, to understand her father. It had never occurred to Jess that parents were meant to be understood, any more than the safe of the Millsburg First National was sitting around begging him to crack it. Parents were what they were. It wasn't up to you to try and puzzle them out. 
There was something weird about a grown man wanting to be friends with his own child. He ought to have friends his own age and let her have hers. Wow. That didn't age well. Jess's feelings about Leslie's father poked up like a canker sore. Oh, he's jealous. Oh. Oh. Okay. You keep biting it and it gets bigger and worse instead of better. You spend a lot of time trying to keep your teeth away from it. Then sure as Christmas, you forget the silly thing and chomp right down on it. Lord, that man got in his way. It even poisoned what time he did have with Leslie. She'd be sitting there bubbling away at recess, and it would almost be like the old times. And then, without warning, she'd say, Bill thinks so-and-so. Chomp. Right down the old sore. Finally. Finally, she noticed. It took her until February, and for a girl as smart as Leslie, that was a long, long time. Why don't you like Bill? Who said I didn't? Jess Aarons. How stupid do you think I am? Pretty stupid sometimes. But what he actually said was, what makes you think I don't like him? Well, you never come to the house anymore. At first, I thought it was something I had done, but it's not that. You still talk to me at school, and lots of times I see you in the field playing with PT, but you don't even come near the door. You're always busy. He was uncomfortably aware of how much he sounded like Brenda when he said this. Well, for spaghetti sauce. <laughs> I've never heard that saying before. That's a very, sounds like a very Minnesota saying. I just finished watching Far Fargo, Fargo. I just finished watching Fargo for the first time ever. And a whole lot of, oh, geez. Geez. Oh, geez. It's a good movie, though. Well, for spaghetti sauce, you could offer to help, you know. It was like all the lights coming back on after an electrical storm. Lord, who was the stupid one? Still, it took him a few days to feel comfortable around Leslie's father. Part of the problem was that he didn't know what to call him. Hey, he'd say, and both Leslie and her father would turn around. Uh, Mr. Burke? I wish you'd call me Bill, Jess. Yeah. He fumbled around with the name for a couple more days, but it came more easily with practice. It also helped to know some things that Bill, for all his brains and books, didn't know. Jess found that he was really useful to him. Not a nuisance to be tolerated or sat on the porch like P.T. You're amazing, Bill would say. Where'd you learn that, Jess? Jess never quite knew how he knew things, so he shrugged and let Bill and Leslie praise him to each other. Though the work itself was praise enough. First, they ripped out the boards to cover the ancient fireplace coming upon the rusty bricks like prospectors upon the mother load. Next, they got the old wallpaper off the living room wall, all five garish layers of it. Sometimes, as they lovingly patched and painted, they listened to Bill's records or sang. Leslie and Jess teaching Bill some of Miss Edmund's songs, and Bill teaching them some that he knew. At other times, they would talk. Jess listened wonderingly as Bill explained things that were going on in the world. If Mama could hear him, She'd swear he was another Walter Cronkite instead of some hippie. All the Burks were smart. Not smart, maybe, about fixing things or growing things, but smart in a way Jess had never known real people to be. Like, one day while they were working, Judy came down and read out loud to them, mostly poetry, and some of it in Italian, which, of course, Jess couldn't understand, but he buried his head in the rich sound of the words and let himself be wrapped warmly around the feel of the Burks' brilliance. They painted the living room gold. Leslie and Jess had wanted blue, but Bill held out for gold, which turned out to be so beautiful that they were glad they had given in. The sun was slanting from the west in the late afternoon until the room was brimful of light. Finally, Bill rented a sander from Millsburg Plaza, and they took off the back floor paint down to the wide oak boards and refinished them. No rugs, Bill said. No, agreed Judy. It would be like putting a veil on the Mona Lisa. When Bill and the children had finished razor blading the last bits of paint off the windows and washed the panes, they called Judy down from her upstairs study to come and see. The four of them sat down on the floor and gazed around. It was gorgeous. Leslie gave a deep, satisfied sigh. I love this room, she said. Don't you feel the golden enchantment of it? 
It's worthy to be. Jess looked up in sudden alarm. In a palace. Relief. In such a mood, a person might even let a sworn secret slip. But she hadn't. Not even a bill and duty. And he knew how she felt about her parents. She must have seen the anxiety. Because she winked at him across Bill and Judy, just as he sometimes winked at Maybell over Joyce Ann's head. Terabithia was still just for the two of them. The, the three of them. You forgot about P.T. The next afternoon, they called P.T. and headed for Terabithia. See, told you. It had been more than a month since they had been there together. And as they neared the creek bed, they slowed down. Just wasn't sure he still remembered how to be a king. We've been away for many years, Leslie was whispering. How do you suppose the kingdom has fared in our absence? Where have we been? Conquering the hostile savages on our northern border, she answered. But the lines of communication have been broken, and thus we do not have tidings of our beloved homeland for many a full moon. How was that for regular queen talk? Just wish she could match it. You think anything bad has happened? We must have courage, my king. It may indeed be so. They swung silently across the creek bed. On the farther bank, Leslie picked up two sticks. Thy sword, sire, she whispered. Jess nodded. They hunched down and crept towards the stronghold like police detectors on TV. Hey, queen, watch out! Behind you! Leslie whirled and began to duel the imaginary foe. Then more came rushing upon them, and the shouts of the battle rang through Terabithia. The guardian of the realm raced around them in happy puppy circles. Too young as yet to comprehend the danger that surrounded them all. They sound sounded the retreat, the brave queen cried. Yay! Drive them out utterly so they may never return to prey upon our people. Out you go! Out! Out! All the way to the creek bed, they forced the enemy back, sweating under their winter jackets. At last, Terabithia is free once more. The king sat down on the log and wiped his face, but the queen did not let him rest long. Sire, we must go at once to the grove of the pines and give thanks for our victory. Just followed her into the grove, where they stood silently in the dim light. Who do we thank? he whispered. The question flickered across her face. Oh God, she began. She was more at home with magic than religion. Oh spirits of the grove. Thy right arm has given us the victory. He couldn't remember where he had heard that one, but it seemed to fit. Leslie gave him a look of approval. She took up the words, Now grant protection to Terabithia, to all its people, and to us, its rulers. Jess tried hard not to smile. And to its puppy dog. And to Prince Tarion, its guardian and jester. Amen. Amen. They both managed somehow to keep the giggles buttoned in until they got out of the sacred place. A few days after the encounter with the enemies of Terabithia, they had an encounter of a different sort of school. Leslie came out of recess to tell Jess she had started into the girls' room, only to be stopped by the sound of crying from one of the stalls. She lowered her voice. This sounds crazy, she said, but from the feet, I'm sure it's Janice Avery in there. You're kidding. The picture of Janice Avery crying on the toilet seat was too much for Jess to imagine. Well, she's the only one in school that has Willard Hughes' name crossed out on her sneakers. Besides, the smoke is so thick in there you need a gas mask. Are you sure she was crying? Jess Aarons, I can tell if somebody's crying or not. Lord, what was the matter with him? Janice Avery had given him nothing but trouble, and now he was feeling responsible for her like one of the Burke's Timberwolves or Beach Wells. She didn't even cry when kids tease her about Willard after the note. Yeah, I know. He looked at her. Well, he said, what should we do? Do, she asked. What do you mean, what should we do? How could he explain it to her? Leslie, if she were an animal predator, we'd be obliged to help her. Leslie gave him a funny look. Well, you're the one who's always telling me I gotta care, he said. But Janice Avery? If she's crying, there's gotta be something really wrong. Well, what are you planning to do? He flushed. 
I can't go in no girl's room. Oh, I get it. You're going to send me into the shark's jaws. No thank you, Mr. Aarons. Leslie, I swear I'd go in there if I could. He really thought he would, too. You ain't scared of her, are you, Leslie? He didn't mean it in a daring way. He was just dumbfounded by the idea of Leslie being scared. She flashed her eyes at him and tossed her head back in that proud way she had. Okay, I'm going in. But I want you to know, Jess Aarons, I think it's the dumbest idea you've ever had in your life. He crept down the hall after her and hid behind the nearest alcove to the girls' room door. He ought at least to be there to catch her when Janice kicked her out. There was a quiet minute after the door swung shut behind Leslie. Then he heard Leslie saying something to Janice. Next, a string of cuss words which were too loud to be blurred by the closed door. This was followed by some loud sobbing. Not Leslie's, thank the Lord, but some sobbing and talking mixed up and the bell. He couldn't be caught staring at the door of the girls' room, but how could he leave? He'd be deserting in the line of fire. The rush of kids into the building settled it. He let himself be caught up in the stream and made his way to the basement steps. His brain still swirling with the sounds of cussing and sobbing. Back in the fifth grade classroom, he kept his eyes glued on the door for Leslie. He half expected to see her come through flat and straight out like the coyote on Roadrunner. But she came in smiling without so much as a black eye. She waltzed over to Miss Myers and whispered her excuse for being late. And Miss Myers beamed to her with what was becoming known as the Leslie Burke special. How was he supposed to find out what had happened? If he tried to pass a note, the other kids would read it. Leslie sat way up in the front corner, nowhere near the wastebasket or pencil sharpener, so there was no way he could pretend to be heading somewhere else to sneak a word with her. And she wasn't moving in his direction. That was for sure. She was sitting straight up at her desk, looking as pleased with herself as a motorcycle rider who had just made over 14 trucks. Leslie smirked clear through the afternoon and right onto the bus where Janice Avery gave her a little crooked smile on her way to the back seat. And Leslie looked over at Jess as to say, See? He was going crazy wanting to know. She even put him off after the bus pulled away, pointing her head at Maybell as if to say, We shouldn't discuss it in front of the children. Finally, finally, in the safe darkness of the stronghold, she told him. Do you know why she was crying? How am I supposed to know? Lord Leslie, will you tell me? What in the heck was going on in there? Janice Avery is a very unfortunate person. Do you realize that? What was she crying about, for heaven's sake? It's a very complicated situation. I can understand now why Janice has so many problems relating to people. Will you tell me what happens before I have a hernia? Did you know her father beat her? Lots of kids' fathers beat him. Will you get on with it? No, I mean really beats her. The kind of beatings they take people to jail for in Arlington. She shook her head in disbelief. You can't imagine. Is that why she was crying? Just because her father beats her? Oh no. She gets beaten up all the time. She wouldn't cry at school about that. Then what was she crying for? Well, Lord, Leslie was loving this. She's stringing my forever. Well, today, she was so mad at her father that she told her so-called friends Wilma and Bobby Sue about it. Yeah. And those two... Two... She looked for a word violent enough to describe Janice Avery's friends and found none. Those two girls blabbered all over the seventh grade. Pity for Janice Avery swept across them. Even the teacher knows about it. Boy. The word came out like a sigh. That was a rule at Lark Creek, more important than anything Mr. Turner made up and fussed about. That was a rule that you never mix up troubles at home with life at school. When parents were poor or ignorant or mean, or even just didn't believe in having a television set. It was up to their kids to protect them. By tomorrow, every kid and teacher in Lark Creek Elementary would be talking in half snickers about Janice Avery's daddy. It didn't matter if their own fathers were in the state hospital or the federal prison. They hadn't betrayed theirs, and Janice had. So let me make sure I got this straight, because this is kind of blowing my mind. Just a little bit. Just just a tad. Okay, put your fingers pretty close together and then bring it all the way out to a C. That's how much it... <clears throat> so in the 70s, 
you got laughed at if you were being physically abused by your parents. That was the move. In the 70s, you got laughed at if you confided in your friends. I mean, you get laughed at now if you confide in your friends, let's be honest. Because there's a lot of friends out there that ain't really your friends. And when y'all stop being friends, they're going to use what you told them as ammunition to make fun of you. But still, in the 70s, when a girl tells her friends, her two closest friends, about her situation at home, which they should know about if they're close friends, they go and tell the whole school. They don't try and get her help. They don't, I'm sure this is before CPS, but they don't do nothing to help her. I'm literally flabbergasted by that. Like, that's cold. And you see exactly how the world got so dark so quickly. It wasn't us. It wasn't the millennials. It wasn't the Generation Z, folks. Nope. It sounds like it was baby boomers. Enacting rules that trickled down to the kids that they had. Beating them. Torturing them. And then having rules that you will be laughed at if you told anybody what happened. And those rules tried to trickle down to us, but we pushed back. We were the first ones to kick open the door and say, nah, when we grow up, our kids will be able to do this, that, and the third. And we held true to it. And it's better for it now. I can't believe I feel bad for Janice Avery. Do you know what else? What? I told Janice about not having a TV and everyone laughing. I told her I understood what it was like to have everybody think I was weird. What'd she say to that? She knew I was telling the truth. She even asked me for advice as if I were Dear Abby. For those of y'all who don't know, Dear Abby's name is not Abby. Also, there's a person named Ann Landers. Back when there were things called newspapers, folks would write into these two women, these two white ladies, and they would give good advice. No doubt. Like, for real, for real. I, I'm guessing they picked through the letters because I'm sure they got hundreds of thousands of them and they picked through until they found something they wanted to answer but they gave good advice for the ones they wanted to answer let's do it like that but it was good advice I enjoyed seeing it I just told her to pretend she didn't know what on earth Wilma and Bobby Sue had said or where they had gotten such a crazy story and everyone would forget about it in a week she leaned forward suddenly anxious do you think that was good advice? Lord, how should I know? Did it make her feel better? I think so. She seemed to feel a lot better. Well, it was great advice then. She leaned back, happy and relaxed. Know what, Jess? What? Thanks to you, I think I now have one and a half friends at Lark Creek School. It hurt him. Gosh. It hurt him. For it to mean so much to Leslie to have friends. When would she learn that they're not worth the trouble? I know a lot of people laugh at folks who pursue friends, but you don't know what their background is, what their life is. And maybe they've been told they were worthless in other places growing up, and so now as kids or as adults they pursue friendship in a way to shake off the demons that still sit in their head and tell them that they're not worth it that they're not worth the breath in their lungs celebrate with your friends when they make new friends don't pity them for celebrating friends and Jess sounds like he was beaten down too like he's like friends ain't worth it like dang okay I always I wonder what his life was like before he met Leslie. Like it sounds like he was really lonely. Like all he had were the races, but he didn't have any friends in those groups. He just had rivals. And trust me, rivals cannot be friends. They can be associates, but they ain't friends, especially not in the moment. <sighs> oh, you got more friends than that. Nope. One and a half. Monster Mouth Myers doesn't count. There, in their secret place, his feelings bubbled inside of him like stew on the back of the stove. Some sad for her and her lonesomeness, but chunks of happiness too. To be able to be Leslie's one whole friend in the world as she was his, he couldn't help being satisfied about that. Possessiveness is not a good look, my boy. Not a good look, my guy. That night, 
as he started to get into bed, leaving the light off as to not wake the little girls. He was surprised to hear Maybelle's shrill little, Jess! How come you still awake? Jess, I know where you and Leslie go to hide. What do you mean? I followed you. He was at her bedside in one leap. You ain't supposed to follow me. How come? Her voice was sassy. He grabbed her shoulders and made her look him in the face. She blinked in the dim light like a startled chicken. You listen here, Maybelle Lawrence. He whispered fiercely. I catch you following me again. Your life ain't worth nothing. That escalated quickly, didn't it? You go to my pretend place where me and my friend go to do pretend things and your life ain't worth a darn. A darn. Okay, okay. She slid back into bed. Boy, you're mean. I ought to tell Mama on you. Look, Maybelle, you can't do that. You can't tell Mama about where me and Leslie go. She answered with a little sniffing sound. He grabbed her shoulders again. He was desperate. I mean it, Maybelle. You can't tell nobody nothing. He let her go. Now, I don't want to hear about you following me or schooling a mama ever again. You hear? Why not? Because if you do, I'm going to tell Billie Jean Edwards you still wet the bed sometimes. You wouldn't. Boy, girl, you better just not try me. He made her swear on the Bible never to tell and never to follow, but still he lay awake a long time. How could he trust everything that mattered to him to a sassy six-year-old? Sometimes it seemed to him that his life was as delicate as a dandelion. One little puff from any direction, and it was blown to bits. Chapter 8. Easter Even though it was nearly Easter, there were still very few nights when it was warm enough to leave Miss Bessie out. And then there was the rain. All March it poured. For the first time in many years, the creek bed held water. Not just a trickle either. Enough so that when they swung across, it was a little scary looking down at the rushing water below. Jess took Prince Terrian across in his jacket, but the puppy was growing so fast he might pop the zipper at any time and fall into the water and drown. Ellie and Brenda were already fighting about what they were going to wear to church. Since Mama got mad at the preachers three years back, Easter was the only time in the year that the Aarons went to church and it was a big deal. His mother always cried poor, but she put a lot of thought in as much money as she could scrape together into making sure she wouldn't be embarrassed by how her family looked. But the day before she planned to take them all over to Millsburg Plaza for new clothes, his dad came home from Washington early. He had been laid off. No new clothes this year. A wail went up from Ellie and Brenda like two sirens going to a fire. You can't make me go to church, Brenda said. I ain't got nothing to wear and you know it. Just because you're too fat, Maybelle muttered. Did you hear what she said, Mama? I'm going to kill that kid. Brenda, will you shut your mouth? Her mother said sharply. And then more wearily, we got a lot more than Easter clothes to worry about. His dad got up noisily and poured himself a cup of black coffee from the pot on the back of the stove. Why can't we charge some things? Ellie said in a wheedling voice. Brenda burst in. You know what some people do? They charge something to wear it, and then they take it back and say it didn't fit or something. The stores don't give them no trouble. Her father turned in a kind of roar. I ain't never heard such a fool thing in my life. Didn't you hear your mother tell you to shut your mouth, girl? Brenda stopped talking, but she popped her gum as loudly as she could just to prove she wasn't going to be put down. Jess was glad to escape to the shed in the complacent company of Miss Bessie. There was a knock. Jess? Leslie, come on in. She looked first and then sat on the floor near a stool. What's new? Lord, don't ask. He tugged the teats rhythmically and listened to the plink, plink, plink in the bottom of the pail. That bad, huh? My dad's got laid off, and Brenda and Ellie are fit to fry because they can't have new clothes for Easter. Gee, I'm sorry. About your dad, I mean. Jess grinned. Yeah, I ain't too worried about these girls. If I know them, they'll trick new clothes out of somebody. It'll make you throw up to see how these girls make a spectacle of themselves in church. I never knew you went to church. Just Easter. He concentrated on the warm udders. I guess you think that's dumb or something. She didn't answer for a minute. I was thinking I'd like to go. He stopped milking. I don't understand you sometimes, Leslie. Well... I've never been to a church before. 
it would be a new experience for me. He went back to work. You'd hate it. Why? It's boring. Well, I'd just like to see for myself. Do you think your parents will let me go with you? You can't wear pants. I've got some dresses, Jess Aaron's. Would wonders never cease? Here, he said. Open your mouth. Why? Just open your mouth. For once she obeyed, he took the stream of warm milk straight into it. Ugh. Oh, nasty. Jess Aaron! The name was garbled and the milk dribbled down her chin as she spoke. Don't open your mouth now. You're wasting good milk. Leslie started to giggle, choking and coughing. Now if I could learn to pitch a baseball that straight. Let me try again. Leslie controlled her giggle, closed her eyes and solemnly opened her mouth. But now Jess was giggling so that he couldn't keep his hand steady. You dunce, you got me right in the ear. Leslie hunched up her shoulder and rubbed her ear with the sleeve of her sweatshirt. She collapsed into giggles again. I'd be obliged if you finished milking to come back to the house. His dad was standing right there at the door. I guess I'd better go, said Leslie quietly. She got up and went to the door. Excuse me. His dad moved aside to let her pass. Jess waited for him to say something more, but he just stood there for a few minutes and then turned and went out. Ellie said she would go to church if Mama would let her wear the see-through blouse, and Brenda would go if she at least got a new skirt. In the end, everyone got something new except Jess and his dad, neither of whom cared, but Jess got the idea it might give him a little bargaining power with his mother. Since I ain't getting anything new, could Leslie go to church with us? That girl? He could see his mother rooting around in her head for a good reason to say no. She don't dress right. Mama. His voice sounded as prissy as Ellie's. Leslie got dresses. She got hundreds of them. His mother's thin face drooped. She bit the outside of her bottom lip in a way Joyce Ann sometimes did and spoke so softly Jess could hardly hear her. I don't want no one poking their nose up at me and my family. Jess wanted to put his arm around her the way he put it around Maybelle when she was in need of comfort. She don't poke her nose up at you, Mama. Honest. His mother sighed. Well, it should look decent. Leslie looked decent. Her hair was kind of slicked down, and she wore a navy blue jumper over a blouse with tiny old-fashioned looking flowers. At the bottom of her red knee socks was a pair of shiny brown leather shoes that Jess had never seen before, as Leslie always wore sneakers like the rest of the kids in Lark Creek. Even her manner was decent. Her usual sparkle was toned way down, and she said yes and no to his mother, just as though she were aware of Miss Aaron's dreaded disrespect. Jess knew how hard Leslie must be trying, for Leslie didn't say ma'am naturally. In comparison to Leslie... Brenda and Ellie like a pair of peacocks with fake tail feathers. They both insisted on riding in the front of the pickup with their parents, which was some kind of a squeeze with Brenda's shape to consider. Jess and Leslie and the little girls climbed happily into the back and sat down the old sacks his dad had put against the cab. The sun wasn't exactly shining, but it was the first day in so long that the rain wasn't actually coming down they sang, Oh Lord, what a morning. Our lovely meadows and sing, sing a song that Miss Edmonds had taught them, and even jingle bells for Joyce Ann. The wind carried their voice away from them. It made the music seem mysterious, which filled Jess with a feeling of power over the hills rolling out from behind the truck. The ride was much too short, especially for Joyce Ann, who began to cry because the arrival interrupted the first verse of Santa Claus coming to town, which, after jingle bells, was her favorite song. Jess tickled her to get her giggling again so that when the four of them clambered down over the tailgate, they were flush-faced and happy once more. They were a little late, which didn't bother Ellie and Brenda, for it meant that they got to flounce down the entire length of the aisle to the first pew, making sure that every eye on the church was on them, and every expression of every eye a jealous one. Lord, they were disgusting. And his mother had been scared Leslie might embarrass her. Jess hunched his shoulders and slunk into the pew after the string of women folk, and just before his dad. Church had always seemed the same. Jess could tune it out the same way he tuned out school, with his body standing up and sitting down in unison with the rest of the congregation, but his mind numb and floating. Not really thinking or dreaming, but at least free. I swear to you. First of all, church. There's two times in church. Christmas and um, Easter. 
that is like the Christmas and Easter are the equivalent of the Super Bowl and WrestleMania for the church. And so when you go into the church on those days, you are going to be forced to listen to a four hour sermon, which is really an advertisement about why the people who showed up to the church who don't usually go to the church need to be coming to my church. It's horrible, especially for kids. I don't understand why pastors take the time out to make sure that they are advertising for their church while you're in their church, but they do it. I remember once we went to a funeral for one of my cousins, rest in peace, and the pastor didn't know nothing about my cousin, but the pastor saw an opportunity, and so the pastor began preaching during the funeral. Like, he wasn't talking nothing about my cousin because he didn't know nothing about my cousin, but he's still preaching about, you know, how great God is and and how his church is the place for them to be at to free their souls and save themselves from the dangers of the gang lifestyle. There wasn't even no gang lifestyle. My, my cousin was just black. Church. For a kid, church is torture. I'll be real with you. Sunday school was torture too. Like, I don't know. Yeah, you have friends at church. But honestly, church is really a bunch of people who have a ton of energy, the kids, us being told to sit down and be still for literally three hours can't get up when you got up to use a bathroom to get some sort of a, a, a walk around to stretch your legs or something like that you got in trouble you talk you got in trouble you didn't read out the bible you got in trouble you read out the bible while the preacher was talking you got in trouble you had your eyes open while you prayed you got in trouble i always try to have my eyes open while i pray because you know who else had their eyes open the pastor Here's the thing about church. I believe in God. I don't believe in the church. God and Jesus are up here, deified. The church is full of people who are trying to stretch the ideas of what Jesus and God said into what they want to hear. So the way I see it, God and Jesus might have had a hand in writing the Bible. I don't even know that part for sure. What I do know is that it's a big game of telephone because by the time it makes it from the Bible to the preacher's mouth to your ears, it has been stretched out to fit whatever's going on in the pastor's life and to fit whatever's going on in your world. Church folks are literally some of the worst people I've ever met in my entire life. I didn't say Christians. I didn't say Muslims. I didn't say Sikh. I didn't say Buddhist. I didn't say Jewish. I didn't say Catholic. I said church people. There's a difference. Church people are awful people. They are catty. They are petty. They are mean. They are rude. They are jealous. They are spiteful. They gossip. They cheat. They hate. But they think it's okay because they go to church every week and ask for forgiveness. But here's how I look at that. If you're an adult, and I mean, this is a kid's book, so that's iffy. But if you're an adult listening to this, go to work late six times in a row. And every time you go to work late, ask your boss for forgiveness and repent for it. See how long they want to forgive you. You can't keep repenting for the same sin. Eventually, it's just this is just the way you are. And you got to be honest with it. And I'm not, I'm not forgiving you for it anymore. I don't know. Anyhow. Once or twice, he was aware of being on his feet with a loud, not really tuneful singing all around him. At the edge of his consciousness, he could hear Leslie singing along and drowsily wonder why she bothered. The preacher had one of those tricky voices. It would buzz along for several minutes quite comfortably, and then bang, he was screaming at you. Each time, Jess would jump, and it would take another couple of minutes to relax again. Because he wasn't listening to the words, the man's red face with sweat pouring down seemed strangely out of place in the dull sanctuary. It was like Brenda throwing a tantrum over Joyce Ann touching her lipstick. It took a while to get Ellie and Brenda pulled away from the front yard of the church. Jess and Leslie went ahead and put the little girls in the back and settled down to wait. Gee, I'm really glad I came. Jess turned to Leslie in unbelief. It was better than a movie. You're kidding. No, I'm not. And she wasn't. He could tell by her face. That whole Jesus thing is really interesting, isn't it? What do you mean? All those people wanting to kill him when he hadn't done anything to hurt him. 
She hesitated. It's really kind of a beautiful story. Like Abraham Lincoln or, or Socrates or, or Asland. It ain't beautiful, Mabel broke in. It's scary. Nailing holes right through somebody's hand. Oh yeah, that's the other thing about church. They only got like five stories. Christmas, you're going to get how Jesus came. There might be a play. Easter, you're going to get how Jesus died. There might be a dinner. Other times, they're just going to go through the Bible to see what hits them. Or they go through the Sunday school book. Maybe I was right. Just reached down to the deepest pit of his mind. It's because we're all vile sinners. God made Jesus die. Do you think that's true? He was shocked. It's in the Bible, Leslie. She looked at him as if she were going to argue, then seemed to change her mind. It's crazy, isn't it? She shook her head. You have to believe it, but you hate it. I don't have to believe it, and I think it's beautiful. She shook her head again. It's crazy. Maybell had her eyes all squinched as though Leslie was some strange creature in a zoo. You gotta believe in the Bible, Leslie. Why? It was a genuine question. Leslie wasn't being smarty. Because if you don't believe in the Bible, Maybell's eyes were huge. God will damn you to hell when you die. Where did she ever hear a thing like that? Leslie turned on Jess as though she were about to accuse him of some wrong he had committed against his sister. He felt hot and caught by her words and voice. He dropped his gaze to the gunny sack and began to fiddle with the raveled edge. That's right, ain't it, Jess? Maybelle's shrill voice demanded. Don't goddamn me to hell if you don't believe the Bible. Jess pushed his hair out of his face. I reckon, he muttered. I don't believe it, Leslie said. I don't even think you've read the Bible. I read most of it, Jess said, still fingering the sacks. It's about the only book we got around our place. He looked up at Leslie and half grinned. She smiled. Okay, she said. But I still don't think God goes around damning people to hell. They smiled at each other, trying to ignore Maybelle's anxious little voice. But Leslie, she insisted, what if you die? What's going to happen to you if you die? Maybe that's why I never read this book. Or don't remember this book. They probably banned it from the school I went to. I went to a Lutheran school. It was literally called Gloria Day Lutheran School. It was in the church. It was literally in a church. It was a church school. It was a Christian school. They probably didn't want this book in there because A, it's got cuss words in it. And B, it's speaking facts. Straight bars. And they don't want folks to know that. They don't want you questioning that at such a young age. Gosh, I wonder if this book is banned anywhere. I feel like this book would be banned in a lot of places if the Republicans knew what was actually in these books. But adults don't read. 916-633-1537. Wretched and Ratchet at gmail.com. Wretched Book Club on Twitter. Wretched Book Club on Facebook. You can leave a review on Spotify. It takes like nine seconds. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to everybody who's been checking us out there. Uh, you can leave a review on... Uh, pod chaser and then you can copy and paste that into the good pods app as well you can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast uh, you can also donate to the show at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or you can um leave a tip in the tip jar on the good pods app thank y'all so much for listening i do greatly appreciate it y'all be good i'm gonna you later peace outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast.